Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places, Hebrews chapter 2 and Luke chapter 22. Hebrews chapter 2 and Luke chapter 22 in a Bible study that I've entitled Six Steps to Becoming a Backslider. Six Steps to Becoming a Backslider. Because nobody ever really thinks that they're going to backslide. And I haven't met, really, I haven't met one new believer that wants to backslide where they're so excited about the work of God in their life, they're so excited that their sins are forgiven, they're so excited that God, there's now hope for their lives, that God is going to deliver them from the issues of their life, that they have not only strength for today, but hope for tomorrow. I mean, the topic of backsliding never comes up. Because I think that there's that sense in us that we all want to grow, we all want to move forward, we all want to be the men and women that God wants us to be, to live in His sufficient grace to, to live in such a way where we derive all of our strength and all of our hope from Him. But real life isn't like that. Backsliding occurs. Because we all have seasons of difficulty, resistance, challenge. Even as we're praying for the Fox family, they're, they're, they're facing resistance. They're facing a greater challenge than they've ever faced before. And it is possible for a believer, for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus Christ to backslide. Absolutely, 100%. And the reason I say that is because people like to argue about this. They, they like to make it a big point of arguing. But the Bible actually uses the word backslide many times. And even if the word backslide isn't used, like we see in verse 1 of chapter 2, how can this not be anything but describing going backwards where it says in verse 1, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. There is the possibility of drifting away, of no longer making progress and moving forward in the things of God. And just to really emphasize this in our lives, Jesus gave a parable. And he shared a parable about a dad and two sons. We often refer to that as the parable of the prodigal son. We actually should change it. You can change it a, different, a couple different ways. Really, you could call it the, the parable of the loving father. You could call it the parable of the prodigal sons because one ran away in a prodigal, but one stayed pridefully with his dad and, and was really not in relationship with his dad either, even though he was there close. But most of the focus of the story is on the, the younger brother that, or the youngest son that takes off. He says, I want my inheritance right now and I want to launch off into life and live life the way I want to live. And so what does the father do? He gives him, he, he honors that, that freedom that free will that he has, and he actually gives him an inheritance, and the kid goes off into the city and lives a crazy, wild life. And in the beginning, I'm sure he enjoyed it. He was surrounded with friends. He had more friends than he ever had. He had more money than he ever had, and they lived it up. But you know what happens? Over time, the money ran out, and guess what? So did the friends. And something that he couldn't predict not only did he lose all his money and lose all his friends, but there was great difficulty in the land that he lived. A famine hit the land. 
a, a great challenge and trial, a lack of food, so that he had to get a job. And the only job he could hustle up was a job feeding pigs, which was unclean for him as a Jewish kid. And yet that's all he could do. And there he was doing his job. And, and he got so bad, so bad for him, that as he was looking at what he was feeding the pigs, for a moment there, he felt like eating it. That's how hungry and how desperate he was. Which, by the way, leads me to sharing with you a very important truth. You might want to jot it down. You can jot it down right over Hebrews chapter 2 if you'd like. And it's a very simple phrase, but I want you to understand this. I want it to be in our hearts and our minds. And it's simply this. Backsliding equals misery. Backsliding equals misery. Because here he is at the point of having all this fun, which shouldn't surprise us. Because the Bible teaches us that sin can be pleasurable for a short amount of time. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if sin wasn't pleasurable, if things that God forbid wouldn't bring us some kind of pleasure, even though it's self-destructive pleasure, if it didn't have any kind of pull on us, if it wasn't attractive to us, then where would be the temptation? That, that's why when you watch somebody, you know, make a, such a horrible, sinful mistake and ruin their life or ruin the life of someone else, and you, you, you look at them and you go, I can't believe they did that. Why did they do that? Well, one of the reasons is, is that what they were into wasn't a temptation for you, but it was for them. That's one of the reasons why you feel that way. So that wasn't a temptation for you, but believe me, there are temptations for you. And they will tempt you for some kind of joyful, happy season of life, only to lead to misery, because backsliding always leads to misery. And yet it was in the misery of his series of poor decisions that the Bible says he came to his senses and he went back home. And he went back home because that was the wise thing to do, to come back, to come back to a loving Heavenly Father. You know why? Because believers can have a temporary lapse in their Christian faith. But if they're a true believer, they'll always come back. Prodigals will come home. We praise God for that, don't we? Because many of you are praying for prodigals right now. And prodigals do come home. Jesus instructed us and shared with us. And we learned last time that the essence of our relationship with God is two things. How do we not backslide? How do we not drift away? Well, we need to take the more earnest heed to what we've heard. And really what he's saying is we need to match what we hear with obedience. We need to do what we hear. And if there was ever a time for us to hear this message, it's in our generation, because as believers, as followers of Christ, we hear and we hear and we hear. We hear in church, we hear in podcasts, we hear on the internet, we hear on TV, we hear on radio, we hear on CDs. I mean, we hear and hear and hear the Word of God, which puts us at great danger. Because if you hear and don't do, you're going to drift away. If you keep hearing God's Word, and don't match it with obedience. You will, and I will, drift away. James put it this way. Jot it down in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's simply self-deception if you think being in church, living a life of disobedience, means that you're making progress for the things of God or you're listening to the radio, or watching some service, or on YouTube, and you're there, and you're not matching with what God is teaching you with the appropriate obedience. Sliding back, 
drifting away, turning from the Lord, backsliding, doesn't happen overnight. That's why I think Paul here in, to the Hebrews in chapter 2 uses the word drift, because you drift over time. You, you start out in one place, and then over time, you're drifting into a whole new place. Anyone can fall away. And the moment we begin to doubt that we could fall away is the very moment we start taking a step toward doing it. Any of us can. Backsliding is actually a subtle thing. It happens little by little. I know it's sudden for us when we, when, when we see someone, it seems like they just woke up one morning and denied God. It didn't happen that way. It was very subtle. And it began a long time ago with a little decision, a little compromise, and then over and over and over and over again till finally they completely turn away from the things of God. It's not, backsliding is not just living in open rebellious sin where it's so obvious. Many times, backsliding is a subtle thing that is on the inside of a person so that on the outside, they can give the appearance that they're worshiping God and making progress. And we see the appearance, but inside, they're very far from God. And it begins little by little by little by little. It's not just open rebellion. It's also failing to move forward, failing to make progress. If you're not moving forward spiritually, you're moving backward. There, there is no neutrality when it comes to the things of God. You can't say, no, Ed, I'm not moving forward. I'm not moving backward. I'm just standing here. No, standing is not moving forward. It's the beginning of moving backwards. So much, Jesus put it this way. Consider this, what Jesus said. He said, you're either for me or against me. He doesn't give a third option. He doesn't say, you're either for me or, or against me or thinking about it. There's not three options. I mean, imagine that. You could be listening to me right now, and you have set your life to be against Jesus Christ. That's your life. You go, Ed, how can you say that? How can you say that, Pastor? Because Jesus said, if you're not for him, living in relationship with him, having repented of your sins and surrendered your life to him, then he says you're against him. You have to be for or against. There's no third option. And so it is with the Christian life. You're either moving forward or backward, but there's no third option. And today I want to show you what one type of backsliding looks like in the life of a very familiar man. Would you turn over to Luke, now chapter 22? As we see a season of hours in the life of a man by the name of Simon Peter. We often refer to him as Peter, but his name is actually Simon Peter. And there are six things, six decisions, six positions of his heart and life that have led him down a very difficult path that ended with him denying his relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the end, denying his relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pick up with me in verse 31 of Luke 22? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
Strengthen your brethren. Here's number one, if you're taking notes. Number one. Peter was self-confident instead of selfless. Peter was self-confident instead of selfless. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, verse 33, it says, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You see, Peter had, he was a man of passion. He was a man of commitment. He was a man of loyalty. This is a guy you would want on your, on your side. You would want this guy in your corner. I mean, he, when he did something, he did it all. He, he was a man you could rely on. He was a man you could trust. He, he was a man that, that you wanted to serve side by side with, and yet his strengths became his weakness. Because, first of all, he stands with Jesus before this, and he says, hey, everybody, even if everybody around me, he sells out his own guys, his own friends, even if everybody's made to stumble, not me. And then he says, he says in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He's so confident, so committed, but he's self-confident. This is the first step in backsliding. No longer relying upon the resources of God, the all-sufficient resources of God through his son Jesus Christ. You're relying on yourself. Jesus just revealed that Judas was going to betray him. And Peter responded in this boast of commitment, comparing himself to others. Such self-absorption is a sure step away from God. And you know, it always concerns me when I see or hear anyone that make themselves look better at the expense of someone else. You know, they, they're trying to prop up their own ego and their, their own appearance by saying, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. And did you hear about so-and-so? And, and you know, our world's really good at this, and I know you're familiar with this. Our world's very good at this because our world loves to put labels on people. They like to associate a label to someone, and if you notice carefully, whenever someone's associating a label to someone, it, only makes the, it always makes themselves look better. It's like, oh, you know, so-and-so is just that. And the implication is, we're not that, so we're better. And it's maybe a down-and-out situation or a difficulty or a struggle, and unfortunately, this stuff creeps into the church, and so there's labels for all kinds of people. And let me just say, Jesus has a label for all of us. You know what it is? Sinners. All of us, we have all, fall, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, of course we've done it differently and in different degrees, but listen, we are all in need of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There is no other label that's necessary that we become fully dependent upon Him and acknowledge Him that we've sinned against a holy and righteous God, that we've sinned against people that we love, we've sinned against society, that we have all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. You know, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, we're all equal. Forgive us, Lord, for labeling people and, and trying to make ourselves look better at the expense of someone else. It's very concerning. Peter's boasting of his own commitment while downplaying everyone else's commitment. But they were equally dedicated, you know? They might have expressed it differently, but they all left everything and followed Jesus. And this is what it comes down to for us. Sometimes the areas that you fall in are areas where you thought you were the strongest. <laughs> Think about it. You know, when you're weak in a certain place, 
You'll keep a guard up there. Like, like when you're asking someone to keep you accountable, right? It's like, like, like if you're doing something really well, let's say, you know, that you've got this great habit and you love reading the Bible. And so generally you just love reading. You do your devotions in the morning five, six times a week and you, you're just enjoying the Lord. You're not asking people, hey, can you call me this week and just make sure I'm reading the Bible? No, because you're strong in that area. You're not asking, can you keep me accountable? I read the Bible six days a week, but I really want to do, can you just call me and make sure I do it? You don't do that. But the areas you struggle, hey, brother, you know what? This is a big area for me. Can you just check in on me from time to time? I just want you to know I'm struggling with this. I'm experiencing victory, and I want to keep experiencing victory, and I just need somebody's help. It's the weak areas of life that we really pay attention to. It's the weak areas of life that we put a guard around. The stronger things in our life tend to be neglected, and when they're neglected, they begin to grow in ways that are not helpful to us that inflame our pride. And if you think you're strong in a place, you're going to lower your guard. And it's been said, and I believe it to be true, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. I might watch out in an area of vulnerability, but lower my guard in the areas where I think I'm strong. And Peter was committed. He was dedicated. He was loyal. And yet he let his guard down and he became self-confident. And he boasts not in a way that props up the power of God, but in a way that props himself up. Number two, notice with me in Luke chapter 22, would you pick up in verse 39? And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, speaking of Jesus, and this is into the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press. And he was, as he was accustomed, his disciples also followed him, verse 40. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And another uh, gospel writer tells us that he specifically encouraged Peter, James, and John to pray and not enter into temptation. This is a pretty easy instruction. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus told them to do what? Pray. And the reason why he wanted them to pray was so that they didn't enter into temptation, right? You guys all with me? It's very easy. Hey, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Pray. Well, why? So you don't enter into temptation. That's the focus for him in the moment, for them in the moment. Pray. And he's speaking to Peter as well. Peter, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray so you don't enter into temptation. A very easy instruction. Well, notice, it says in verse 41, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and he prayed and said, Father, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and their sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, verse 45, he came to his disciples, and he found them what? Sleeping. It doesn't say he found them praying. They're sleeping, which would lead them into temptation. It puts them more vulnerable, huh? There they are sleeping, and they're sleeping from sorrow. So let's not, let's not get down on them too much. They're, weak, they're in a weakened state. They've just received a lot of difficult information. It's been hard for them. They're just a stone's throw away from Jesus. So they hear him. They know what's going on in terms of his wrestling and his agony, and they fall asleep. And Jesus comes, verse 46, he says to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray so you don't enter into temptation. 
So number two, Peter was sleeping when he should have been watching. Peter was sleeping when he should have been watching. Now, for us, I don't think this so much speaks to physical sleep, that, we should, that we're sleeping when we should be awake serving God. I don't see that. But rather, what I see in the body of Christ today is that the world has lulled the church to sleep. Like, where's the influence on our culture? Where is that church making the kind of difference that we've seen in previous generations? What is happening before us? Well, I think that much of the church is sleeping when we should be watching and we should be serving and we should be pressing forward. We should be leading our homes. We should be men, you husbands, you should be the head of your home spiritually. You should serve and love your wife. You should raise your kids unto the Lord, having family devotions, praying with your wife. Like, listen, this is God's will for your life. But so many are asleep when they should be watching. And what's the danger? When you're sleeping, temptation knocks on the door. And the devil never lets up. He, he never pulls back. And the resistance, the resistance of the devil is walking. You know, when you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. The, reason, the way you resist him is through drawing near to God. You know, when I asked, if I was to ask you at the beginning of the message, hey, how many backsliders do we have here? Not many people are going to raise their hand because we always associate backsliding with some crazy, horrible way of living life. And that is true, but not exclusively. Are you sleeping today instead of watching? Is your relationship with God just kind of, you know, doing stuff religiously? Remember, backsliding equals misery every time. Notice number three. Again, pick up with me in verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who is called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them, you want to guess who that is? You go ahead and write it. Circle the word one of them, or the phrase one of them, and write there, Simon Peter, the one the devil asked for, the self-confident one, the, the one that's sleeping when he should be watching. Here's the temptation. Man, where did Jesus tell him to take his sword out? Do you see that anywhere? I don't see that anywhere. And yet he's caught up where? In himself. I'll take care of this. You know what? He, he doesn't even realize that by pulling out the sword, he's trying to prevent the will of God. He doesn't even realize it. <laughs> and the text tells us that instead of cutting off his head, he cut off his ear, which what? T tells us that Peter was a better fisherman than he was a swordsman. <laughs> and here's number three. Peter was emotionally controlled. He was emotionally charged instead of waiting on the Lord. Jesus did not give this direction. He did not tell Peter, defend me. Take out your sword and cut some heads off, boys. No, he's been telling them all along this is going to happen. And part of the humanity of Peter that made him so loyal, so dedicated, was that he was quick but also impulsive. And you know, there are some helpful parts of, of being quick to decide and quick to obey. That's certainly a helpful part of a personality. But, but it can also be harmful when you're quick and impulsive under the control of your emotions 
A lot of bad, backslidden decisions have been made under the control of your emotions and not the control of the Holy Spirit. Peter does it here. And what happens when you make a mistake like this is that it's harder, not easier, but it's harder when you make this emotionally charged mistake and you, you take care. It's harder to humble yourself and repent because now you've inflamed your pride. And so one prideful step after one prideful step after one prideful step and backsliding can sometimes just start just like with this impulsive reaction out of emotion, out of pain, out of a zeal without knowledge. Peter should have never drawn his sword. And imagine this. Don't miss this because Peter is literally... I think, within arm's distance of Jesus. He's right there in the garden, right there. I mean, he had to be very close to the guards that have come to arrest him. I mean, he's right there within an arm. He is so close to Jesus Christ physically and yet so distant spiritually. That's the danger. I mean, here you are. We all got our great church faces on. You're listening to the radio. You're, you're listening to Christian radio. You've surrounded yourself with Christian radio and music and see, and you're listening to the Bible so many different ways. And so outwardly, it seems like you're so close, but inwardly, you're so far away. And backsliding always, really, when it comes to backsliding, the heart of the matter with backsliding is always a matter of the heart. It's always a heart issue. That's what makes it difficult for everyone around you to see it so readily, sometimes even yourself. Walking away from God's commandments is going to cost you because backsliding always equals misery. Listen to this in Psalm 119, verse 30. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I've laid before me, and I cling to your testimonies. It's the only way you're going to get through it to cling to the Word of God and match what you hear with doing. Well, number four, I'm going to ask you to just jot it down. I'll read it to you. Number four in this list is found in Mark chapter 14, verse 48. Because remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all known as synoptic gospels. And what that means is we have three men writing about the life and times of Jesus that pretty much cover the same events from different perspectives different purposes. And John, the, the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, is a gospel that covers the life and times of Jesus but has a different purpose, so adds things that aren't found in the other gospels. And so here with Mark, he adds something in between here where he says in Mark chapter 14, let me read it to you, verse 48. Then Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Verse 50, very important. Here's number four. Peter ran away instead of pressing in. Peter ran away instead of pressing in. So, so here they are in the midst of this, the sword and everything, and, and as they're leading, he, the, the disciples, they all run away, including Peter. They don't run very far, and they don't stay away but in the heat of the moment, they ran away. And the backslider is often found running away from God. Really just running with nowhere to go. God hasn't directed them to run. God hasn't told them to run. And so they run, run, running, and they really don't have anywhere to go. 
There's really no destination for them. And it's not just running away in dramatic ways, but also in a lot of small ways. Running from God in small compromises. Running from God in small bad decisions. Running from God in in our minds, in our actions. Going backwards, away from God. You know, in the Christian life, the longer you live with Jesus, the deeper the challenges are, or the bigger they are. We often think the opposite. We think that the longer we walk with Jesus, the easier it should be, right? Because we got all this experience and we got, no, that's not how it works. The longer you walk and live for Jesus Christ, the deeper and the more difficult the challenges and tests will come. And I mean, Peter's facing the challenge of his life. And Jesus already predicted he's going to backslide, but he didn't receive it. Remember, Jesus said, when you return, what would you mean return? When you return from this episode in your life of denying me, (laughs) when you return, strengthen your brethren. But Peter didn't receive that. Imagine that. He didn't receive the truth from Jesus Christ. And even even though Peter was challenged and he runs away, he doesn't face this challenge by by facing it head on in the strength of the Lord. He, he runs away. You know, the call in the Christian life is upward and onward. It's not taking lower ground, it's taking higher ground. And when you find yourself no longer desiring the higher calls of God, the deeper challenges, the stronger walk, the more victory, the, the strength that comes by obedience, you've got to watch out. It's a dangerous place. It's so critical that we make progress forward in the Lord. Here he is running away. And, and, and think of it, this is just a few hours of time. It can happen, these subtle changes can happen pretty rapidly in a person's life, or they can happen over time. But I mean, Peter, this is, he's so close and yet so far away. Number five, in Luke chapter 22, notice verse 54 now. Jesus has been arrested, the disciples have fled, he's being led away to the high priest's house. And where do we find Peter in verse 54? He followed at a distance. And isn't that the case for the backslider? Following at a distance. I mean, there was one time when you were just there. You were just so hungry for the word of God. You were just so hungry to serve. You were just ready to go for it, jumping in with both feet. But now you're following at a distance. There's a lot of people like that today, following at a distance. And, and I would say it this way. Following at a distance could be described as, well, you know, I have a church life and I have a life outside of the church. Or as one commentator put it, I've got one foot in the church and the other foot in the world. And here's the problem with that. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love the one or hate the other. And if you have a foot in the world, the world will overcome your faith. It will absolutely bombard you because the devil, remember we have a threefold enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil uses the world to inflame your flesh so you make bad decisions. And the world doesn't let up, the devil doesn't let up, and your flesh is hungry. It's hungry to be fed. And you live this life, well, you know, I've got the church life, hour and a half, and then the rest of the week I'm in in the world. And I don't mean living in the world, because Jesus Christ wants us to live in the world. We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. That's not what I'm referring to. We all eat, shop, work in this world. Why? Because Jesus has put us as salt and light. What I'm talking about is 
is that you're living in the world, for the world, consumed by this world system and this culture and the ways of this world. You can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You won't make it. That's a backslidden position. It's not one moving forward. And you too will be described as following Jesus at a distance. You're not as close as you could be. You look back and there were other times in your life where you were sold out, committed to God, but not today. Other things, the cares and concerns of life, have taken your commitment. You see, whatever God has, wherever, wherever God has you, whatever God has you doing is intended to bring Him glory and honor, drawing people to a relationship with Him. And how careful we need to be. He's following at a distance. But notice verse 55, as we now come to our final one, number six. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Now Mark in Mark 14 tells us, Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. So here's number six. Peter warmed himself at the fires of the enemy. There's a much longer line I'm going to share with you, but Peter warned himself at the fires of the enemy. So, so let me remind us today that if you're in the wrong place with the wrong people, you will do the wrong thing at the wrong time. <laughs> if you are in the wrong place with the wrong people, you will do the wrong thing, and it's always at the wrong time. And you go, Ed, I don't believe that. Where'd you get that from? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Listen, just let it soak in. Jot it down and let it soak in. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It just messes. If you're with the wrong people, at the wrong place, you're going to do the wrong thing. And it's always at the wrong time. And where is Peter? He's at a distance, warming himself at the enemy's fires. Peter's hanging around in the wrong place with the wrong influences. And we do understand, he is worn out, and he is beaten down, and he is weak and defeated, and in a very vulnerable place. Matthew actually tells us in his gospel that as he's watching the final moments of the life of his Savior, that he's hanging out with the guards to see the end. So he's with the servants here and with the guards over there, and he's just resigned himself to this is what his lot in life is. And we need to give thought, church, to who we spend the bulk of our time with. Well, we might think we're influencing them, but the real question is, are they influencing you away from Christ? Peter was with the wrong people at the wrong place at the wrong time, and what did he do? The wrong thing. We see it over and over again. How do you know? Well, notice verse 56. He's at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Notice, certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him, but he denied, saying, woman, I do not know him. Strike one. And after a little while, another one 
another saw him and said, you are also of them. Peter said, man, I am not. Strike two. And after a little while, another saw him and said, or excuse me, verse 59, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow was also with him for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. That's the rest of verse 60. I just played it out for you. And immediately while he was still speaking that fast, the rooster crowed. I want you to notice something here in verse 59. It says, and after about an hour, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, would you please write next to an hour, the grace of God? Because in this hour, things could have changed. Now again, I understand the, the overarching plan of God because we know how it turned out because it's written for us, but Peter doesn't. Peter doesn't know how it's all going down. And this hour was an hour of grace. Some of you are living in the hour right now. You're involved in things you shouldn't be involved in. You're hanging out with the wrong people in the wrong places, just an hour away from doing the wrong thing and you're in the hour, and you have misunderstood the grace of God. You think that the hour means that God approves. You think that the hour means that you're getting away with it. You think the hour is everything's fine. It's not that big a deal, and yet you know that the series of your life of where you're at right now has been a series of bad decisions, and you've falsely concluded that this hour of God's patience, of his loving grace, of his opportunity for you to make things right, for you to change the course of your life, to get away from those influences, to humble yourself, to turn it all around. You think, you think that just means God doesn't care, but he does care. And soon the hour will be over. The patience of God will be exhausted, and you'll find yourself sealing the deal with the final decision. How careful you need to be because we're all vulnerable to backsliding. Small ways, big ways, medium ways, it doesn't matter. Can you imagine the scene for Peter here for a moment? Can you just, can you just imagine in your mind the emotion and the difficulty? This all happened in a few hours. So, self -con so confident, so strong, and by the time the rooster crows a few hours later, you're a denier, Peter. Notice, he says in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. From the original language, with the New Testament was written in the Greek language, from the original language, the idea is not, just, not, the, not that just Jesus looked at him, but that he looked right through him. It's that kind of gaze. A gaze of conviction. Almost like a gaze of, Peter, what's, what did you do? I warned you. It's a dramatic to, to, to think that Peter actually denied Jesus Christ not once, not twice, but three times. Matthew tells us that the third time that he denied Jesus, he started cussing and swearing. That's how far he was. There's no recorded instance of him cussing or swearing in all the three years he was with Jesus. You know why? Because when you're abiding in Jesus Christ, you don't cuss and you don't swear and you don't deny him. You serve him and love him and enjoy him. You derive all of your strength and hope and joy from him. But the backslider lives a miserable life, often only felt by themselves. 
The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard, and it is. Self-confidence, sleeping, emotionally impulsive, running away, falling at a distance, warming himself with the fires of the enemy. It's a recipe for disaster for Peter and for us. And so here's my question. Are you a prodigal today? I know if I would have asked that question at the beginning, not many people would admit, but now you understand just a little bit more, just a little bit more, that backsliding is far more than church attendance. Because you might, are you guys a backslider today? And almost always the response will be, I'm in church, man. Backsliders don't go to church. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Now that we've learned a little bit more of what it means to backslide and have learned that it not only means just to go headlong into sin, but it also means starting to let go and go backwards. It means to fail to make progress. We realize that some of us actually might be in the process of backsliding today. We actually might be that prodigal, that wanderer, that backslider. And so let's say that's you. You really are falling away, going backwards. You don't want to get good at backsliding. You don't want to be known by that. Even if you've slipped a a little bit, you've lost some ground, how do you get right with God? I'm going to give you three words today, and next week we're going to have a, a full Bible study on how to come back. But you don't need a full Bible study. You can do it today, and I'll just give you three words. You need to remember from where you have fallen. Remember. Repent and repeat the first works. Remember, repent, and repeat. Isn't that what the prodigal son did? He's there sitting there, and he starts to remember, you know what? I had a good life at dad's house. My servants have a better life right now with my dad than his own son. And he began to remember. And then repenting and returning almost happened at the same time. Because he got up, and he went home. He went to his dad. His dad wasn't ready to punish him and discipline him. The Bible says actually his dad went out and ran after him and hugged him and embraced him and threw him a big party. And his son expresses his great grief over the decisions that he's made, over the wasteful life. That he, and he came back and instantly he was received right back into the home. You know why? Because prodigal sons, when they, when they run away, one thing that didn't change about that boy is he never stopped being his dad's Because sons and daughters are sons and daughters, no matter what their behavior is. As parents, we will love them until we meet Jesus face to face. That's the heart of God for you. Can you imagine the kind of love that you have for your kids? Even when they're doing crazy things, you still love them. You still have hope for them. You still pray for them. You know, the heart of the Father is so much bigger than our heart. And He loves you. And so remember from where you have fallen. Repent and come home. The Father will embrace you and receive you. Because there's so much still yet to be done until the coming of Jesus Christ. And he's enlisting his church, you and me, to be in this world but not of it, making a difference for him. So Father, as we turn our hearts to you, as we consider these, these truths from your word, that you know, forgive us, God, for the small little ways that we've left you. Forgive us, God, for the small ways that have added up to big ways. I pray for those right now that I know 
And I really sense from you, Lord, that this truth of being in the wrong place with the wrong people really spoke to some. And maybe the reason that there's just a, the, I could sense the presence of your Holy Spirit among us is because you've been really dealing with the inward part of our church. The unseen part. Not the face that we put on, not, not the way we dress up for church, but, but rather the heart of the matter. And so would you pour out your spirit on your children today? I pray for those that might be listening on the radio right now. And one of the reasons they're listening to the radio is they just didn't want to come to church because they're on their way backwards. And I'm grateful they're listening right now in whatever church they go to. But God, would you bring them back into fellowship? Would you take away the condemnation of the enemy? Would you get them to the strength, maybe even watching online right now, that they were once in fellowship, but because they're, they're, they're just moving away from you and they're kind of, they still love you, God, and they're still interested, but the way that their life is right now, it has them following you at a distance. Would you bring them back into relationship in their church family? Back into moving forward? Lord, bring about a conviction in their hearts that only you can do and a repentance that only they could do. And together, God, you're going to continue to lead and guide your sons and daughters, drawing more and more people into the family of God. So forgive us, God. Show mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.